This is Elder Peter Ristow. This morning's sermon is given by Elder Jimmy Carter from Genesis 1, where he asks the question, In the beginning, who? I pray that you'll be blessed by this message. Pastor John has been exploring Old Testament personalities with us, hasn't he? His title for that series is uh, Studies of Profiles in the OT, that we might learn things about the Old Testament, things about our God and things about ourselves and things about nature. Today I'd like our discourse to be a primer to you and I reading the first chapter of Genesis. You know, we live in a world that screams at us every day, every week, month, and year, year after year after year, that the Bible cannot be trusted, that you cannot believe Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 1, that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are myth written by Bedouins who barely knew how to speak or write, you know, 1,500 to 2,500 years ago. But this morning, I want you and I to stop just a moment and use our minds in light of scripture to generate some confidence in what we read in Genesis. And then in turn, follow that on with what we read in the Bible, this beautiful library of 66 books. Let's pray, shall we? Mighty God, in a very special way this morning, would you clear our minds and hearts of all the busyness of the life that we live for you? And would you open a space in our minds and hearts for you right now this morning? And would you get me out of the way so that the words spoken and the things done this morning would be to your glory and your honor? That someday, perhaps, Father, in our glorified bodies, we might remember these moments and say, wow, you have always been with us and you have always been God. We thank you in the name of Christ in whose name we say, praying together. Amen. How about we start this morning with a riddle? And if you get the answer, don't shout it out because, you know, there will be some of you. This is an old riddle. So let's look at this old riddle when we talk about the beginning of everything. In the beginning, who? And there are three divisions this morning. And Alan and I are going to be extemporaneously moving slides, aren't we, Alan? There you go. Okay, here's the riddle. It's more powerful than God. It's more evil than the devil. It's higher than the heavens and lower than hell. The very poorest habit, the rich do not. If you eat it, you will die. Your closet begins with it, but it does not last. It's sometimes a response that avoids the question, what is it? Nothing. Right? It's nothing. And my friends, as the late R.C. Sproul said once, if ever there was a moment in cosmic history when there was truly no thing Why is there something now? If there was truly a moment in cosmic history when there was no thing. Why is there something now? And that's what I want to explore with you. The whole notion of a beginner. Because we live in a world who doesn't even want to say the word beginner, let alone think about a beginner. And so the failed human mind comes up with all kinds of ideas to avoid the notion of beginner. So let's explore some of those this morning, shall we? I was on the exercise machine a couple of months ago. It's uh, in summertime. 
I was listening to one of my favorite Christian apologists and he was addressing a young woman on a college campus who insisted that if there was not an extra biblical source for the narrative that you're studying in the Bible, she was not going to believe it. Hmm. I can do two things on the exercise machine that's usually breathe and move, but I got off the machine, which by the way, is not an exercise machine. Have you heard this from me before? 25 or 30 minutes after being on that thing, I go, I am exhausted. I look at my watch. It's only been four minutes. It's a time warping machine, isn't it? Okay. Well, I hopped off the machine. I said, now, hold on a second. If we're going to hold ourselves to that standard, we're never, ever going to believe scripture. Because there's a couple of verses here in Genesis chapter one, where there's no human witness. There's not going to be an extra biblical account. As a matter of fact, even in her worldview, if she believed that everything came from nothing on its own, that, every, that nobody made everything out of nothing, there's still going to be a, mo- a moment in her cosmic history when there's no human witnesses, right? This morning, I'd like you and I to look at nothing. <laughs> and again, understand that because there is something, there's always been something. And then I want to push that further into that notion that there's always been someone. So the first division this morning is the Big Bang demands the big question. And there are three huge chasms, philosophically and intellectually, that you and I are going to discuss this morning. And that is, one, that something comes from nothing. There's the first chasm. The second one is that something becomes living. And the third big chasm is that living becomes sentient. When I say sentient, I mean not only self-aware as creatures, but aware of ourselves in the stream of time. Those three huge chasms, intellectually and philosophically, human beings have not come up with satisfying answers to those three big gaps in our reality. But we're going to go through some of the answers that the world throws at us. And we're going to examine them and say, eh, or mm, and then we're going to look at what the scripture says. In regard to these three big chasms. Do you remember the joke about 20 years ago? A team of scientists have come to the Lord. They said, well, mighty one, we've determined how to create life. And we're here to demonstrate that to you. And the team leader bends down and he gets a scoop of dirt. And he starts to hold it up for the Lord. And the Lord says, hold it. Get your own dirt. Right? That's how foundational our God is to the life that we live. So, since the universe is such a big, wonderful, and mind-blowing thing, I thought we would use something smaller when we discuss the universe. Let's look at this ball. There's really only three answers to how this ball gets here. It's either always been here, it made itself, or someone or something else made the ball. And those are the three ideas we're going to look at in the first division, okay? So we're going to say the ball, the universe, has always been here. Now, this might be a little mind-stretching for a moment before noon on a Sunday, but let's do this, okay? What is infinity? It means no beginning and no end, correct? No beginning and no end. Hmm. And yet the universe is bounded by the four corners of the material world, which is time, space, matter, and energy. Think of it as a box. The universe is in the box, isn't it? Time, space, matter, and energy. Sometimes you use a triangle, time, space, matter, energy in the middle. But there are boundaries to the known universe, correct? 
Infinitude has no beginning and no end. Would it fit in the box? Why? The box has boundaries, doesn't it? And one of those boundaries is time. But something that's infinite, there is no definition of time in that. No beginning, no end. In other words, time isn't big enough to saddle that whole big thing called infinity. So I can think we say with confidence that the universe hasn't always been here. Well, wait a minute. Um, are, are you going to make us think about a beginning? We don't want to think about a beginning because if we have to think about a beginning, we have to think about a beginner. We don't want to do that. Okay, how about this one? Um, the universe has always been here, but it's expanding and contracting. Expanding and contracting. Expanding and contracting. Say it with me. Expanding and contracting. Epic after epic after epic. It's always been here. It's just, yeah, it's expanding now. We have evidence that the universe is expanding, but it's, it's in an inflationary mode right now. But pretty soon it'll shrink back to a singularity and start all over again. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Anything, but don't make me think about a beginner. Well, sorry, friends, you and I are scientists, but we realize there's not enough free energy in the universe right now to bring everything back together. We've well passed that threshold a long time ago. There's not enough free energy to pull stuff back together into a singularity. Well, it hasn't been here forever. It's not expanding and contracting. What else can we think about? How about something that Sir Fred Hoyle said, uh, the, the steady state. And in the steady state, his theory was that hydrogen molecules and other basic chemicals and molecules just appear to replace energy that's being used, that, that's being occupied. Well, okay. The more modern theory of that is that uh, stuff comes from a quantum vacuum. Anything, but don't make me think about a beginner. Yeah, technically, a quantum vacuum is still something, right? So we come up with ideas that drive us away from the idea that not only does the universe have a beginning, but the universe has a beginner. Just don't make me think about a beginner, okay? Well, if the universe hasn't always been here, how about the idea that the universe made itself? Well, there's something in philosophy and logic called the law of non-contradiction. Simply means you cannot be and not be in the same time, the same relationship. So I can't be my dad, right? The universe cannot have made itself. Why? Because the universe would have to not be and then be. How can that be? <laughs> Say that three times real fast, right? So if the universe is not, if there was ever a moment in cosmic history when there was truly no thing, what would we have today? No thing. So because the universe is bounded by time, space, manner, and energy, it would have to be something or someone outside the box to make something in the box. Does that make sense? Well, the universe is inside the box. You can't make yourself if you're inside the box because you've got to be outside the box to make yourself. And if you're making yourself, you can't be and not be yourself at the same time. I got a headache. But is it true? So the ball can't, not, can't make itself. You know, as G.K. Chesterton said, the mind is like the tongue. It can bite down on ideas and go, mm, mm, yeah, that's true. That's sweet. Or, mm -mm, no, no, that's bitter. That's not true. He also warned us that if your mind is too open all the time, it becomes a sewer. Doesn't discriminate anymore about truth and falsehood. 
So our God wants us to have a mind that is able to discriminate. And that gift, by the way, is promised to you and I. We have the mind of Christ as followers of the one true and only God. So here's this little ball. It's not always been here. It can't make itself. We're now down to the point where, as we might say, somebody made the ball. Or something made the ball. So which is it? You know, there are some religious forms called like pantheism. They say that the universe is God and that the God is universe. It's all one pantheism. Then there's polytheism that there are many, many gods. And then there's monotheism. There's only one God. And there's a couple forms of monotheism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Oh my gosh, we have a shopping list. Which one should we localize on? Have you heard lately in a radio or TV show or read in a book or a magazine when someone uses the word universe where God should be? Oh, the universe is going to get you for that. The universe is, I got some funny news for you, brothers and sisters. The universe doesn't care about you. The universe doesn't know your name. The universe doesn't know your zip code or your area code. The universe doesn't know your birthday. Do you know why? Right. The universe is mindless. It's not a person. It has no personality. There's no drive in the universe to be concerned about who you are, where you are, what you're doing. No. So stop saying the universe this and that. It's just another sophomoric attempt to get away from the beginner. Right? And when people use that phrase, I mean, we should be kind about it, but we should say that very important, incisive word, really? And maybe you should kind of come up on the end like that. Really? Are you sure? So the ball hasn't always been here. The ball didn't make itself. Someone made the ball. And it's not an impersonal agent that made the ball because the impersonal agent doesn't care. It has to be a personal agent to create the ball because the personal agent makes decisions. Is that, that's how we define personhood, right? So what is the creator or the beginner of the ball? It has to be outside the box, right? Time, space, matter, and energy has to be outside the box. So that means this creator has to be hmm, timeless, spaceless, immaterial. This creator has to be powerful. Everything in the universe has to be less than the maker or the initiator or the causer has to be intelligent because we see design all over the place. Isn't you know, Richard Dawkins tells us that biology is the study of seemingly organized systems. Do not look behind the curtain. These aren't the droids we're looking for and blah, blah, blah. What else do you want me to set aside when it comes to obvious in our minds? Finally, that creator also has to be personal to make a choice to create. And there's one last and more important, I think, in that that agent is moral because we know that there are good things and we know that there are bad things. And therefore, there has to be a standard. And if there's a standard, someone has to set it and that someone has to be personal, timeless, baseless, immaterial. Powerful, intelligent, personal, and moral. If you put all those seven characteristics together, what name could you hang on them? God. Yeah. So why not? No, Jimmy, because we do not want to think about a beginner. We do not want to think about, you know, Judy. Because if we do start thinking about this beginner, then we have to think about other things. 
like maybe that beginner has the power and the authority to tell me how to live. That beginner has the power and authority to make sure that the worlds that this creator has made and function in a certain way, we call them the laws of nature. That if that creator can run the universe, that creator probably has the authority to tell me what to do. And I don't want that because I want to be God and that's my fallen state. And that's just the way it is. Sir Fred Oyl also said that it seems like someone's monkeying with the universe. Did you know if we change the gravitational constant? I'm not a physicist. I had to read this. If we change the gravitational constant by a decimal and 60 zeros and a one, there would be no universe. That's just gravity. There's also weak nuclear force and strong nuclear force. And there's electromagnetism really finely tuned. Not just to make the universe, quote unquote, real and material, but to make a space that human beings can inhabit. I don't think we have a name for a number with 60 zeros in it, do we? And yet the king of the universe says that he's named every star. How about that? So we've come to the point where as cheapers, I don't think the bomb has been here forever. I don't think it made itself. I don't think an impersonal agent made it. I think... That one who is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, personal, and moral is the one who is the creator of the universe. You know, followers of Messiah Jesus believe that God's creation is for mankind and includes mankind. And so we've hurled the first chasm with the help of our mighty God from nothing to something, haven't we? So our first principle today is, in the first division, that the one true God... The one true God who is triune, omnipotent, um, omnipresent, and omniscient. This God is the creator of the universe. And that statement is controversial in the world we live in. Here's an application perhaps. Can you list the ways the life you live reflects the reality that the God of Genesis created everything out of nothing, including eventually you? Does your life reflect that reality? Because if you do, you're going to get pushed back from the world. The world's going to tell you over and over and over again about their creation story. And it's not the one found in the biblical narrative. I mean, friends, does it amaze you that the world disagrees with the biblical narrative? Shouldn't, should it? Who is the prince of the power of the air? Our despicable enemy. We live in a world where Satan is not believed in. And that's exactly what our enemy wants. Oh, yeah, think of me as a red devil with a tail and a pitchfork. Not someone in a three-piece $5,000 Gucci suit. He's hiding himself, but our God and King knows his every act in his very mind. So let's work ourselves into the second chasm, and that would be something becomes living. Again, let's go back and get your own dirt, Right? So it seems that we have many, many theories as to how life came about on our biosphere. Well, you know, the most popular when I was in school was, hey, there's this little pond, this kind of gooey pond on the primordial earth. And there were chemicals and enzymes in there. And then boom, it was struck by lightning, perhaps. And the the energizing electricity uh, Align the right amino acids in the right pattern to create the first living molecule. 
It takes more faith to believe that story than the one in Genesis 1. If you do any research, and I mean, yeah, push a button or talk into your phone, you can find evidence that life is so, again, finely tuned. It has to be the right amino acids, left hand or right hand. They have to be in the right sequence. They're very volatile and fragile. Systems have to be exactly connected, exactly formulated, and the environment has to be of the right moment and the right temperatures and the right pressures, and it just has to be exactingly precise. So how does stuff come to become alive? If you hold to anything other than the biblical view, you are going to have to say to yourself, all right, here's what I believe. I believe that life can come from non-life. I believe that purpose can come from purposelessness. I believe that mind can come from non-mind. You have to convince yourself that a mindless and purposeless process, we call it evolution with a capital E, right? Charles Darwin's idea. That a mindless and purposeless process is our Product. We are the products of a mindless and purposeless process. And yet here we sit mindfully and purposefully talking about it. Hmm? A mindless and purposeless process can only what? Produce what? Mindlessness and purposelessness. Something's going on here, isn't there? Take our minds and bite down on that and see what it tastes like, Right? So life has to come from life. Mind has to come from mind. Purpose has to come from purpose. And who is that one that we talk about that is timeless and spaceless and immaterial and powerful and intelligent and personal and moral? The one true God. The God that shows himself and reflects himself and reveals himself in this wonderful library of books. You notice we haven't touched scripture yet, have we? We're just using our minds. We're just using our minds. We're thinking about things and seeing if they make sense to us. Life comes from life. The triune God gives us, he gives himself away in the first chapter of, Gen of the Genesis account. He, he uses the name Elohim. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't read Hebrew. I have to go to other people's works. But I understand that Elohim is plural. Now, if God says, let us make human beings in our image, he's not talking to angels. There may have been an angelic witness to the creation of the material universe, but there were no human beings. So God is talking in a sense, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but he's talking to himself in that beautiful community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three co-equal, co-eternal persons, one God. Oh, Jimmy, that's illogical. No, you can't talk about a triune God. Nope, 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 that's it. Nope, that's illogical. No, it's not. It's extremely logical. If I told you that we have three persons in one person, eh, that's not logical. If we have three gods in one God, eh, that won't work either. You've got the number three, you've got the number one. You need a category for each of those numbers. Three persons go in the person category, and one God goes in the God category, and that's good logic. We try to squish three and one together into the same category, you got a category error. We're not speaking illogically when we talk about the triune God. It's good, clean thinking. You know, because the one who invented good, clean thinking is the one who is triune. So our second principle this morning is 
True wisdom begins by recognizing and reverencing God as the creator of the universe. You know the reason why the world is screaming at you every day? Telling you things about what's true and what's not true. Do you know why the world is screaming at you? And again, when I say the world, we mean the upside down, inside out system that our enemy has set up. He's the pretender. He's the usurper. He's the fake. The true king is coming. We look forward to that, don't we? Come, Lord Jesus. But the world tells us and screams at us day in and day out about their definition and their creation story, their idea about maleness and femaleness, their idea about sexual behavior, their idea about the priorities. They are telling you and me that we should be alive to use people and love things. And that's not what God tells us. The king of the universe says, I want you to love people and use things. Our enemies turned that upside down and inside out too, hasn't he? So you and I then hear the screaming at us every day. And why are they screaming? Because the king of the universe has given you a witness to himself. And it's called the universe. The heavens sprinkle forth speech, don't they? No, no, no. The heavens mist forth speech don't they no no the heavens drip what do they do they pour forth speech god has created the heavens to pour forth a tsunami of evidence of truth but the world wants you blocked off from that the world doesn't want you to hear that and that's why the world is screaming at us in desperation Because once you and I start thinking about these things, once you and I start understanding that God has given us a mind for a reason, that is to glorify him, you're lost to the world. What does scripture warn us about alliance with the world? If we ally ourselves with the world, what is our relationship with God becoming? His enemy. I wonder why the world tells you anything but the biblical narrative. You know, if Satan had a car, the bumper sticker would read anything but the truth, right? When do you recall being truly wise recently? And how was the God Elohim honored by that act of wisdom? Only the fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. There's a sequence that we go through as human beings to get rid of the king. And here's how it goes. The first thing we do is we deny his reality. The the second thing we do is we defy his authority. Then we look into our inmost being and we look at that space that only God can occupy and we go, nah, I don't need you. I can determine what right and wrong is. I know my principles and characteristics are superior to yours. And you take him and you eject him from the throne of the life you live. Now, once you've done that, you don't want any evidence that you've made a mistake. So you begin rejecting God from society at large. You take him out of your school system. You take him out of entertainment and sports. You take him out of polite conversation. You take him out of academia. We have to sterilize everything to make sure the beginner isn't even talked about. So you deny his reality. You defy his authority. You eject him from your throne and then you reject him from your culture and that's where we are and that's why the world is screaming at us because they don't want us to hear the universe the creation 
pouring forth speech. So here's the first magnitude. That first chasm was, remember, we've got something from nothing. And the second chasm was, we've got something that's alive. We're saying life from life, aren't we? We're saying something from something, aren't we? Uh, those friends that disagree, those family that disagree, those peers that disagree with the biblical account in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 1, have to explain to us how those first two chasms are bridged. Here's the third chasm. Something becomes sentient or human beings. We're going to talk about something called the magnitude of miracles right now. This is the third division. A first magnitude miracle is when God takes nothing and makes something. Now, again, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't read Hebrew. I've got to go to other people's work. But there's a word in Hebrew, B-A-R-A, bra, if I've even pronounced it properly. And that means out of nothing, something. That's God making something out of nothing. That's God's mighty power and his genius and his word creating something that was not there before. The Latin term here is ex nihilo, out of nothing. So the Hebrew word bara here is used three times in Genesis, verse 1, when it comes to making the heavens and the earth. Verse 21, when it comes to making the sea creatures and the birds. You know, as a former pilot, the fifth day of creation is my favorite day. That's the day that God made all the flyers. The flyers through the, uh, at the liquid atmosphere and the flyers through the gaseous atmosphere. Day five is a great day. It's the day of the flyers, right? But the word bara is used there because those fish and those birds weren't there. He had formed the space for them, but he placed them in by their kinds. Bara. And then, of course, in verse 27, the, ver the verb bara is also used. Those are first magnitude miracles. Something from nothing becoming something. We well, you know something interesting here also. There are a couple of Hebrew words um, I, if I pronounce these correctly, by the way, asa, which means to make, and yitzar, which means to form, or kun, to be found. Now, these verbs are used also in the Genesis account. These are called differentiation. There's already something there, and God is refining that. That makes you and I, as human beings, something very, very special. Have you ever thought about this? The angels are of one realm. We'll call it the first realm. We'll call this the second realm, okay? The first realm, that's the angels' realm. They can manifest themselves here, but they are not of this realm. You are of both realms. You have an earth suit made of stardust, correct? Wrapped around a soul that has a beginning but no end. You are of both realms. We human beings have stuff and spirit combined. You are a walking, talking, first and second magnitude miracle. There was no soul. God made a soul out of nothing and put you and made you a soul. And he wrapped you in a nurse suit, which is made out of stuff. C.S. Lewis said once, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Because you know our earth suits are going to quit. This version one of your earth suit is going to quit. It's going to fail. It's no longer going to be able to support your soul because you are a soul. But God's taken care of that, hasn't he? He's promised that you're going to get earth suit version two. That's going to be able to support your soul, who you really are for the rest of forever. Wow. But wait a minute. Don't talk to me about that. 
All there is is the here and now. All there is is the horizontal. When you die, you die. You go back to dust. What a grim and gray perspective that is. And that's what happens when we deny God's reality, defy his authority, eject him from our inmost being, and then reject him from the very culture in which we live. Fallen man, fallen humanity still bears God's image. It's defaced, but it's not erased. The king of the universe makes sure of that. That's why murder is such a serious offense when it comes to sentience and living, because we're basically murdering God in effigy if we're made in his image. That's why murder is so universally acclaimed as something that is not to be engaged in. So you and I are bara, a spiritual soul. Where there was none, there will be one. And get this, when it comes to our salvation, Guess what my condition was when the Holy Spirit found me? Oh, no, no, I was going down for the third time, (laughs) treading desperately, third time. No, I was a cadaver at the bottom of the lake. My eyeballs had already rotted out of their sockets. What flesh was left clung limply to my bones. And the God-man dove into the water pulled my stinking cadaver to the shoreline and put his sweet lips on my fetid flesh and brought me back to life. Barah. Don't talk to me about a beginner, Jimmy. It's too much for me. God is able to forge glory from what our enemy seeks that, which is death. And doom and gloom. And our guy says, no, I'm pouring forth speech from the magnitude and the beauty of the creation, which I have put you. I will pour forth speech. So from life is life, my friends. The last principle then this morning is that Jesus, who is God and creator of the universe, (laughs) is your personal savior. Who else would you want as your champion? Hmm? Whoa. The one who has been to where none of us have been but are going, which is death, and returned in triumph to promise us new life, new bodies, and truth and reality and life forever. Taking upon himself our crimes and in that great exchange giving us life. As Messiah dies on the cross, we are raised with him. And we talked a few weeks ago about baptism, didn't we? It's just evidence. It's just a marriage license that what's happening in us is affected by the Holy Spirit. The last principle, Jesus, who is God and creator of the universe, is your personal savior. The application could be something like a redeemed human being is a double magnitude miracle. If you are redeemed, what are you doing to obey your savior's command to go and make disciples? Nothing becomes something, something becomes living, living becomes sentience, and we're sentient to glorify God, and that means to bring others into his kingdom. Now, how about this? Well, Jimmy, you know, God's in complete control, so what's the deal? We don't need evangelism. Really? Why do we need evangelism? Because God says so. Now, does God have needs? No. Does God have potential? No. We do. We have a beginning. God uses you and me as double magnitude miracles, walking, talking miracles to be the 
have occurred to be the ones who stimulate in one who is not alive spiritually. The Holy Spirit uses you and me as agents of new life to those who aren't alive yet. The Holy Spirit's working on them. The Holy Spirit is intervening on behalf of Christ by name in that person's life. And you and I, as restored human beings, as real boys and girls, are the agents of the Holy Spirit's work. That's why evangelism is critical, right? So in conclusion, let me ask you three questions about our three chasms. Does God love you? Can you trust God? Does God have the will and the power to communicate to you how things happened before there was a human witness? He did invent language, you know. He speaks it better than we do. So if God loves me and I can trust him, and if he has the will and the power to communicate to me the things that happened before there was a human witness, why don't I believe in Genesis chapter 1 or the first 11 chapters of Genesis or the entire book of 66 books? Jimmy, because the world is screaming at me. It's screaming at me about another creation story, about another value system. Hmm. Isn't it neat that we have a choice? And isn't it neat that we have a choice because, you know, God didn't make us as robots, did he? So remember this formula in conclusion. True love, that's God, demands true choice. And true choice demands the potential for evil and the actuality of good. And God takes that evil and uses it to his glory and brings men, women, and children to himself. And it really frustrates our enemy, doesn't it? Let's pray, shall we? Father and God, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about Scripture. Because, mighty one, you are the source of Scripture. And, Father, if it pleases you, let me read one portion of Scripture as we close. From your servant Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, he writes these words as we translate them into English. Lord, you, Jesus, are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Because, mighty one, we answer the question, in the beginning, who? And that's you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of hearing truth and knowing you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray together saying, amen. Thank you for listening. And may the king of the universe use us as his agents of salt and light this week. Amen. Amen.